Support for this podcast comes from San Francisco International Airport. At SFO, you can discover award-winning flavors and unique shops all before takeoff. Learn more about what's at SFO at flysfo.com. Hi there. I'm Randa Fattah from ThruLine. If you're listening to this podcast, you know that KQED produces exceptional storytelling that keeps you informed, inspired, and entertained. Their podcasts cover issues from your neighborhood to the entire country and everything in between. Support this work today. You can help us continue to bring quality podcasts to your ears. Just head to donate.kqed.org podcast. That's donate.kqed.org podcast. From KQED. This is the California Report. Good morning. I'm Lily Jamali. California has seen 47,000 new cases of COVID-19 in the past two weeks. It's a dramatic uptick, making up about a quarter of all the cases that we know of. KQED Politics Editor Scott Schaefer reports that was just one troubling fact revealed in Governor Gavin Newsom's press briefing on Monday. The governor said it's inevitable that cases will rise as the economy continues to reopen. What's bothering health officials is the steady uptick in hospitalizations and occupied ICU beds in the past 14 days. State Health Director Dr. Mark Galley noted that Riverside and San Bernardino counties have been added to a watch list of places the virus is spreading at an alarming rate. And in the future may put pressure on our ICU capacity and our ventilator capacity that we want to maintain to keep our communities safe. Dr. Galley said the increase in those counties could not be traced to more testing or crowded group settings like nursing homes or prisons, but rather to community spread in households. The state is urging all Californians to use face coverings if you leave your house, especially indoors or wherever social distancing isn't possible. For the California Report, I'm Scott Schaefer. The governor and legislative leaders have struck a deal to close a $54 billion budget deficit caused by the pandemic. Cap Radio's Nicole Nixon has more from Sacramento. The agreement follows weeks of intense negotiations over how to fill the budget hole caused by the pandemic. While leaders did not give specific details, sources say the new agreement largely avoids the painful cuts to health and social service programs that Governor Newsom proposed in his May revision. But it leans on billions in anticipated federal aid, which is still uncertain. If that relief funding does not come through, some state workers would see furloughs. The state would also defer billions in payments to schools and community colleges until next year, which could force those entities to cut spending or borrow. For the California Report, I'm Nicole Nixon in Sacramento. We're learning more about the treatment of immigrant detainees at the Adelanto Detention Center near Riverside during the pandemic. Some report guards pepper sprayed them during peaceful protests. KPCC's investigative reporter Ellie Yu has the story. Detainees say they were protesting a lockdown order at the facility on June 12th by standing or sitting outside of their cells. They say lockdowns restrict them to their rooms for 23 and a half hours a day. In response, they say officers in riot gear used pepper spray and shot pepper bullets at them indoors. Officials say guards were with the GEO Group, a for-profit prison company that operates Adelanto. Edgar Guillen was standing outside of his cell when a pellet with pepper spray exploded near his face. That's when I had a my room started throwing up. 
and my eyes were burning. A spokesperson for U.S. Immigration and Customs Enforcement said the facility went into lockdown in response to a planned protest outside of the facility. The agency said non-lethal force was necessary to keep detainees and staff members safe after detainees refused orders. Officials told KPCC that four detainees were treated at an off-site medical facility and then returned to the detention center. For the California Report, I'm Ellie The public health director of L.A. County, Dr. Barbara Ferrer, announced yesterday that she's received hate mail and death threats over restrictions put in place to stop the spread of the coronavirus. And she's not the only one. So far, seven high-level health officials in California have resigned due to increasing stress and public scrutiny. Anna Maria Berry Jester with Kaiser Health News says we're likely to see more resignations as the pandemic continues. She joins us now. Good morning. Good morning. Thanks for having me. You've been looking into this spate, really, of public health officials across the state and the country stepping down during this pandemic. Why is that happening from what your reporting is showing? There seem to be multiple reasons, but what it comes down to is just really intense and unpleasant working conditions. So in some cases, some of the more high-profile cases, there have been you know, physical threats, death threats, made against health officers, people protesting on front lawns, um, you know, just very public displays of anger directed at the individuals. In other cases, these are departments that are sort of already underfunded, understaffed. They're working extremely long hours. We've talked to many people who haven't had a day off since February. And it's just not the long term working conditions are, are just not tenable, especially if you have a you know, family, young children, things like that. What have you been hearing from officials who you've talked to about how personal this has gotten? So Kat DeBerg, who's the executive director of the Health Officers Association, so she's like the only person in the state who really represents the health officers. You know, she said that it was really disturbing to her that this wasn't about well, we don't like your policy, let's debate that, but a personal attack that sort of questions people's patriotism, their intelligence, their motivations. And, you know, in the big picture, all over the world, face coverings are being required. And that is where the science has led. But people don't like being told what to do necessarily, and they've made that part very clear in these um, public comment sessions and, and things. What concerns do people who are following this this story have about the how this might impact the future of public health and public health departments around the state and the country? Yeah, so there's a lot of concern about the loss of knowledge and experience as people maybe leave their positions because they can't they just can't deal with the current circumstances, the intense stress that they're working under, the long hours, you know, the sort of relentless um, criticisms from officials and the public. And that that has, you know, really long lasting implications if we don't have a workforce that that comes with that experience. Public health is a very specific um, task. And, you know, so, for example, the health officers have to have a medical degree in California. But, a med- you know, training in medicine doesn't necessarily train you in public health. And working in government, public health is a very specific set of, set of skills. Um, and there's a lot of concern about what the long-term effects of that will be. All right. Anna Maria Barry Jester of Kaiser Health News, thank you so much. Thanks for having me. While the COVID-19 pandemic has been stressful for healthcare workers across the board, it's been especially hard on Black doctors. They're working long hours away from their families while trying to process the disturbing images of police brutality in the news right now. KQED's Michelle Wiley has that story. 
Dr. Tiffany Chioma Anibiri can't remember where she was when she heard about George Floyd's killing at the hands of a Minneapolis police officer. She might have been in her Bay Area home or in the car somewhere between Stockton and Modesto. She works at two hospitals as an emergency medicine physician. But what she does remember is that she waited as long as she could before watching the video. I refuse to like, I cannot see anything right now. And I'm normally the person that's like, girl, did you see this video? You know, and I remember watching it and just being like, okay, well, I am now debilitatedly depressed because I was already teetering on the edge. And um, that just was, it was over after that. For months, frontline healthcare workers across the world have been experiencing increased mental health issues as a result of the pandemic. In China, where cases of the coronavirus were first reported, a study of healthcare workers found that a large number of them had symptoms of stress, anxiety, and depression. That research inspired Alameda County to create a crisis line for healthcare workers from all backgrounds, including those who don't work directly in medicine, like janitorial and maintenance staff. Bin Ao, who heads up the crisis line, says many of the people who call in are feeling compassion fatigue and burnout. When you're in the helping profession, uh, one way of self-care is to have a distance between yourself and the person you're helping. But getting distance from a global pandemic is hard. And so is getting distance from the reports and videos of police brutality. Every day they're holding trauma and they're holding these experiences and grief. And COVID-19 has exacerbated that trauma, has exacerbated that grief. After watching the video of Floyd, Dr. Chioma Anibiri says she laid in bed in the dark for days. I feel so overwhelmed and almost as if I can't pay attention. And I don't want to, you know, put patients at risk because I literally cannot focus. Uh, But then having to like, okay, I need to block this out. But the video sat in the back of her mind and she decided she needed to speak out. So she wrote an article about incorporating healthcare practices into policing, which was recently published in Scientific American. She's also been initiating conversations in her workplace about racism and police violence. But between a pandemic that disproportionately impacts Black, Latino, and Indigenous people, and ongoing police violence and death, it's a lot of weight to carry. We're not getting any reprieve. We're not getting any sort of respite from the pandemic, and and you're putting this on our communities as well, like, have some empathy, have some mercy. And while protesting in a pandemic may be dangerous, Dr. Chioma Anibiri says that for many, this issue is more important than their own personal health. For The California Report, I'm Michelle Wiley. Former presidential candidate Andrew Yang has launched a new initiative that's turning heads in Silicon Valley. It's called the Data Dividend Project, and its goal is to compensate you when companies use your data. Joining us by phone is Andrew Yang. Thanks for being on the show. Thanks for having me. It's great to be here. A week from now, the state attorney general is set to start enforcing the CCPA. That's the California Consumer Privacy Act, which was all about protecting Californians' right to data privacy. How does your project dovetail with that? The Data Dividend Project takes advantage of the new rights that the CCPA gives to every Californian, where you now have the right to know what's going on with your data, the right to opt out, and the right to authorize an agent to fight on your behalf, because the reality is the average person listening to this doesn't know what they would do with their data rights 
vis-a-vis the big tech companies. So our goal is to fight for your rights and then get you paid for the fact that these companies are profiting to the tune of billions of dollars a year off of your data. If anyone's getting paid for use of your data, it should be you. Well, that sounds great, but how would it actually work? Well, you go to our website, ddpforall.com, and you authorize us to negotiate with the tech companies on your behalf. We then go to the tech companies and say, look, you're using these people's data. Tell us how you're doing it. Tell us how much you're making. And then uh, our consumers want a piece of the action, want a piece of that value. And if you don't negotiate with us, then we will enforce rights under the CCPA For most tech companies, they'd much rather uh, find a middle ground solution rather than lose access to the data that is fueling their business. And that middle ground solution is money, it sounds like. So are we looking at people getting checks in the mail? That's the plan, Lily. The plan is to get everyone listening to this a check in the mail for your data starting as soon as possible. And in California, this law is on the books. It's being enforced starting July 1. So hopefully we can get the checks in the mail shortly thereafter. So, you know, tech companies in Silicon Valley seem pretty happy with their current revenue model. And I wonder what your friends there are saying about this. Have you talked to them about it? When I've talked to people in Silicon Valley, a lot of them recognize that the status quo is not working and that major companies are abusing our information, our data, and we can all see it and feel it. We all know that our information is getting sold and resold. We're getting targeted by companies that we never signed up for. So they know that something has to change. And California has led the charge in terms of activating our data rights. It's common sense that our data should be ours, even if we are lending it to technology companies. All right. Andrew Yang, now with the Data Dividend Project. It's good to have you here. Thank you. Thank you, ddpforall.com. Let's get you that data money. And that is the California Report for this Tuesday, June 23rd. I'm Lily Dramali. Have a great day, everyone. Support for the California Report comes from the California Earthquake Authority, urging Californians to prepare to survive and recover from the next damaging earthquake. Learn more at earthquakeauthority.com. Eric and Wendy Schmidt, whose Fund for Strategic Innovation supports transformative ideas that benefit humanity while protecting the natural world, recognizing through science the interdependence of all living systems. And Water Heaters Only, specializing in the repair and replacement of water heaters since 1968. Licensed and insured, open 24 hours a day, every day. Learn more at waterheatersonly.com. Hi, it's Terry Gross, the host of Fresh Air. We bring you in-depth, long-form interviews with actors, directors, musicians, authors, journalists, and more. Listen to our Peabody Award-winning Fresh Air podcast from WHYY and NPR. Hey there, this is Brittany Luce from NPR's It's Been a Minute. KQED's podcasts like The Bay, Bay Curious, Mind Shift, Right Nowish, and more all tell the stories of the Bay and beyond with reliable, human-centered journalism. They aim to inspire, make you think, entertain, and expand your understanding of the place you call home. Here's how you can support podcasting at KQED. Showing your support is easy, and you can join Brittany in supporting KQED Podcast too. 
at donate.kqed.org slash podcast. That's donate.kqed.org slash podcast. Do you love learning about the San Francisco Bay Area? It's history, it's people, it's unique blend of cultures. Then you should check out the Bay Curious book. I'm Katrina Schwartz, editor and producer on the Bay Curious podcast, and I'm here to let you know that for the month of May, we've worked out a sweet deal for KQED podcast listeners. Right now, you can get the Bay Curious ebook for $1.99. That's right, $1.99. Just search for Bay Curious wherever you get your ebooks or find a link in our show notes. This offer does expire at the end of the month, though, so you'll want to act on it fast. Happy reading! <laughs> 